The following recording is from the Parramatta Christian Church pulpit series. These sermons are freely available at pcc.org.au. Good. Um, if you've got your Bibles, please go ahead and find those, grab those on this Palm Sunday morning. And we're going to turn to the book of James. And so if you've got your Bibles, I trust you do, I hope you do, find those and turn to the book of James. This morning, I want to begin this sermon on a bit of a downer. And that is we conclude our Breathe series this morning. I know for some of you it's a bit disappointing because it's been a helpful series I've spoken to a few of you and you've been really encouraged by it because it has been quite practical and fruitful and helpful. But we need to conclude it this morning. And so we're going to do that by exploring a Christian practice that in my mind is really neglected and overlooked. So much so that it's my guess, it's my hunch that you've never heard a sermon on this particular Christian practice. What what am I talking about? What is this neglected, overlooked Christian practice? It's the Christian practice of confession. Confession. Now, some of you are probably thinking, you mean confessing our sins to God, right? I mean, I've, I've heard a sermon or two on that, confessing our sins to God, the importance of that. Well, that's really good, but we're not thinking about that particular aspect of confession this morning. Instead, we're thinking about mutual, communal, community, corporate confession. That is confessing our sins to each other. Who's a bit nervous now? Don't worry, I'm not going to ask any of you to come up and start confessing here this morning. But maybe some of you are thinking this morning as you sit there, "Uh, Lewis, is this even right? Is this even biblical, this whole idea of confessing our sins, my sins to another believer? I know that confessing my sins to God is a biblical truth because the Bible says there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And so why do we need human mediators? Why do we need human priests? Because we've got the high priest in Jesus. And if that's you, if you're thinking that way, then that's really helpful. But I want to take you to the book of James because it's here in James that he explores this whole question and whole biblical truth of confessing our sins to each other. And so if you've got James open, I trust that you do, find chapter 5, James chapter 5, and we're going to jump in at verse 13, and we're going to read down to verse 16. Verse 16 is going to be where we are to park our minds and hearts this morning, because it's here that the Apostle James explores this question and biblical truth of corporate confession. But let us back up to verse 13, just to get the flow of thought, because context determines meaning. Verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you ill? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, that's the sick person, if they've sinned, they will be forgiven. Verse 16, here we go. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. See, it is in the Bible. And pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Verse 16, and pray for each other so that you may be healed. I've entitled this morning's message, Confessing Your Need to Confess. Let's pray. Father, 
this is a tricky, thorny subject, and I pray that you would give me your grace, your wisdom, your ability to teach on it clearly and pastorally. Father, I have certain thoughts in my mind, in my heart that I want to share, but I, I know that you have certain thoughts and in your mind and heart that I may not have thought about or covered. And so I just pray, Lord, would you share those things as I, as I preach this morning, Lord God. I just want to be your open vessel to share what you want to share to your people on this subject, this really important theme. And so, Lord God, would you use this word to bring transformation to your people and life to, to the church at large, oh God, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I want to explore this, this thorny, potentially thorny, over, uh, overlooked kind of subject, Christian practice, by exploring the following three things under the following three headings. Number one, confidence in confession. That is, as we approach this thing called corporate confession, we're to do it with eager anticipation, confidently, and we're going to see that this is one of James' main points in the text. Secondly, prudence in confession. Now, some of you are thinking, Lewis, which century are you from? Like, seriously, what the heck does prudence mean? Well, prudence, I needed a word that went well with confidence. Uh, Prudence means wisdom. And so we need to go about this thing called confessing our sins to each other wisely, right? We're to do it wisely. So prudence, so confidence in confession, prudence in confession. And lastly, and this is something that James doesn't bring out, but we need to bring out because of its importance, and that is hindrance to confession. In other words, what is it that actually stops us from confessing our sins to each other? You got it? That's where we're heading. Confidence, prudence, hindrance. It's got a ring to it, and I trust it will aid your memory. So firstly, confidence in confession. Our verse, verse 16, begins with a pivotal word, and that word is, therefore. Therefore, confess your sins to each other, dot, dot, dot. Now, someone has helpfully stated and said that whenever you read a therefore in the Bible, you need to do something. You need to stop and pause and ask yourself the question, okay, what's this therefore, therefore? Helpful play on words. What's this therefore, therefore? And we need to pause and ask that question of this therefore. What's this therefore, therefore? Because it is pivotal. The Apostle James wants us to see something. What is that something? Well, he wants us to see two really exciting things in the prior context because this word, therefore, looks back to two incredible acts of God. Firstly, his willingness and his ability to deal with sickness. And so you know the scenario, we've just looked at it. If someone is bedbound, they're to call the elders and the elders are to come round with their flask of anointing oil, not magic potion, but oil, and they're to anoint the sick person, and they're to pray with faith. And when God sees that faith, he'll move through that means and lift that person from their sick bed. He will miraculously and kindly deal with their sickness. Yes, that's the first thing. But he goes on, James, to say something else. He says, not only will God deal with sickness, that's the first S, but the sickness beneath the sickness, the real Sickness, that is sin. He said, if the sick person has sinned, then they shall be forgiven. And so, on the backdrop 
of God's ability and willingness and kindness to deal with the two S's, sickness and sin, James says, okay, approach this thing called corporate confession with boldness and confidence. That's the the force of the therefore. Look back. God is faithful and he won't disappoint. He will meet you at your point of need so that when you confess your sin, he will use it for good, just like he will use the anointing oil and the prayers of the elders for good and that person will be forgiven and healed and set free. Can you see? And so that's the force and the strength of this, therefore. It's a little bit like the Bourne trilogy. How many Jason Bourne fans here? Come on, confess. Right, we're thinking about confession. Now, how many of you can tell me the first Bourne movie when it came out? What was, it, what was its title? Bourne what? I knew Hillary would know that one. I was a big Bourne fan. Bourne Identity, it came out when? <laughs> 2002, Born Identity. And when it came out, 2002 is a long time ago, 16 years ago, came out, it was an immediate worldwide success. It was a hit because it was quite original, it was edgy, it was action-packed, it was a good movie, Born Identity. And because of that, you know, this huge fan base, uh, fan base kind of emerged across the globe. And, and, and because of that, they, they were really excited for the sequel, the second Born movie, which came out two years after 2004, called what? Born Supremacy. And because of that eager anticipation, that because the first movie was really good, there was confidence. And when it finally came out, Born Supremacy, they weren't disappointed because it was equally good. And so the first installment was great, Born Identity. The second installment was equally good, Born Supremacy. But guess what? They went wild because the fans heard that there was going to be a third movie. Born what? Ultimatum. And, and, and according to Bourne buffs and movie critics around the world, they consider Bourne Ultimatum to be the best one out of the three. Now, that's subjective. You might, yeah, he looks like, yeah, Bourne Ultimatum, yeah. Right on, right on. When they heard it was coming out, which it did in 2007, they were not disappointed. Fans were not disappointed because it was an awesome movie, likely the best one out of the three. And so I can't believe I'm likening God's faithfulness to the Bourne trilogy here this morning, but here we go. This is essentially what James is doing. He's saying, see, look, the the, the first installment, God dealing with sickness, that should increase encouragement and confidence. And, And not only that, he can deal with sin. And so when you approach this thing called corporate confession, you ought to have eager expectation and confidence as well, because like with the Bourne movies, God will not disappoint either. Can you see he's, he's kind of uh, stacking up the reasons for why we are to approach it as a faith community with eager expectation and confidence? Because listen, he goes on to say what? He says, therefore, confess your sins to each other, dot, dot, so that what? You may be harmed? No, so you may be healed. In other words, this corporate confession is good for us. Individually, it's good for the community. Now listen, in context, James must be talking about physical healing here because he's just told us about this guy or girl in a sickbed who's healed. And so in context, he's talking about physical healing. That's not to say that when we confess our sins to each other, we won't experience some other kind of healing, like psychological or emotional or spiritual healing. I've experienced that when I've confessed my sins to someone else. And not only that, community healing as well, like in the local church. Because listen, no sin is private We may think it is, but it's not. It will always affect the congregation in some weird, mysterious way. And so when we confess our sins to each other, there will be restoration in the community. All those things are true, but in context here, James is talking primarily about what? Physical healing. Now that's confronting. It's encouraging, but it's also confronting. 
Because what James is telling us is that sometimes, listen, our sickness, our illness is because of unconfessed sin. That's the implication. Yeah? You, the reason why you're sick sometimes is because you haven't confessed your sin to someone else. Because if you confess your sins, you may be healed. Now, we've got to be careful here, don't we? Come on, we've got to be careful. There's an inherent danger here. And what's the danger? The danger is to say, oh, okay, well, that means then that all sickness is due to unconfessed sin. But that's not right. How do we know that's not right? Because we've got a book in the Bible called Job that is dedicated to that particular question, that particular issue. In summary, Job's friends, they rock up to Job, and he's got some skin issue. His, his skin smells. And so they essentially say, this is the book of Job in summary, uh, Job, the reason why you have stinky skin is because you've got stinky sin in your life. And so if you deal with the sin, God will deal with the stinky skin. And what does God say in response? The only thing stinking around here is your theology. Your theology is not screwed on straight. Yeah, you've got a portion of the truth, but when you take a half truth and make it the whole truth, it becomes an untruth. And so no, not all sin is due to unconfessed sin. But what's the other danger? Because as Christians and as churches, we love to do the whole pendulum swing thing, right? Oh, well, that's true. Therefore, no sickness is due to unconfessed sin. That's equally wrong, according to James and according to the Apostle Paul as well in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, because some of you have died because you are eating the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. You see? So there is a connection. And yet I don't want to leave this first point on a downer because this is not a warning after all. This is not, if you don't do this, this is going to happen slam. This is a promise being held out for us, to us. The promise is if we confess our sins, we may experience physical healing. And so the point of application is this. Go and do likewise. Find someone to confess to, confide in, share your struggles with, which naturally, doesn't it, take us to the second consideration here, prudence <laughs> in confession. Okay, confidence in confession, we're to approach it with confidence, but, but we need to be wise about this, don't we? Come on, we need to be wise. I was speaking to someone just last week about this whole thing about confessing our sins to each other. And they said to me, okay, Lewis, okay, I, I, I can see that James commands, urges that we need to do this thing called corporate confession. But does that mean, their words, quote, I need to air my dirty laundry to every Christian I meet? Striking imagery. Maybe, maybe you're sitting there thinking the same thing. Does that mean I've got to expose my stinky sin, unconfessed sin to every Christian I meet? And of course, the answer is, no, thankfully not. So I'm kind of eased the tension in the room if you're thinking that. Well, oh, you mean I've got to tell everyone about my sin? No, no, no. I don't believe for a moment that when James says in verse 16, confess your sins to each other, he's encouraging us to air our dirty laundry to every Christian we meet. That would be really tiring and also quite weird, wouldn't it? Like, oh, you're a Christian. Oh, I've got some dirty laundry I want to expose. It's just be really strange and weird. But also it would be thoroughly unwise. It wouldn't be prudent. Why? Why? Because some Christians, listen, are not qualified to receive confession. They're not qualified to hear your confessions of sin. Why? Because God disqualifies them? No, but because they have disqualified themselves because of some sin issue in their own lives and hearts, like gossip. You don't want to confess to someone who's a gossip. Because they'll, they'll say to you, oh, yeah, come, you know, dirty laundry, that's fine, I'm fine with dirty laundry. And then as soon as you've aired it, they're like, cool, cool. 
do you want to know about some dirty laundry? And it always comes in the guise of what? Oh, someone just shared something, you know. It's really weighing on my heart. And I just need to share it with someone. You're not going to tell anyone, will you? That's just gossip. It's gossip. Now, we're not talking about legal issues here, yeah? We're not talking about someone disclosing some legal issue. No, you, you have a responsibility to disclose that. We're talking about people's secrets. They're sinful things. And they're just aired for everyone else to see and to smell. That's gossip. But equally, also, what discourages people, uh, sorry, uh, disqualifies people from being those who can receive confession is their failure to grasp the gospel of Jesus, the grace of God. Because those who don't end up becoming quite harsh. They become like a brick wall. And so when you make confession, they're like, yeah, repent, get over it. It's not really what you want, is it, in, in someone you confess to? And so those things disqualify people, us, maybe, potentially. And so the question becomes then, all right, well, whom am I to confess to, Lewis? What kind of person am I to confess to? And I'll take you to the book of Proverbs because it is the wisdom book of the Bible. Yeah, it's the wisdom book. And so we're thinking about prudence in confession. And so what I want to do with you for a little bit is I want to give you a portrait of the kind of mentor, the kind of Christian friend, brother, sister in Christ that you need to confess to. Okay, so three character traits all out of the book of Proverbs. Number one, I trust these are going to be helpful. Number one, this mentor, this friend, needs to be, firstly, someone who is committed to your good. Committed to your good. Proverbs 17, 17, easy to remember. This is what we read. It's coming. Okay, it's in my head. Uh, Friends love at all times. Friends love at, what's the emphasis? All times. Good weather, bad weather. When you're on top of the world, they're there for you. When the world is weighing down on your shoulders, they're there for you. When, you. when you go through difficult times, they're there for you. When you want to confess sin, they're there for you. They're not put off by your sin. They're committed to your good. They're devoted to you and your godliness. They're more like Christ. Because Christ always receives us, doesn't he, when we make confession? It's not like Jesus says to us, uh, did you see the sign on the door, gone to lunch? Like, can you come back in a couple of hours? He doesn't treat us that way. And so we need to find mentors and friends that are like that, more like Christ. Not perfect, not perfect, but like Christ. Those who are committed to our good. That's the first thing. Second, character trait. You need to find the same person, those who are committed to your good. You need to find a mentor or a friend who is, listen, emotionally connected to you. Committed to your good and emotionally connected to you. That is on the same wavelength as you are. Proverbs, and I hope this one comes up. Yeah, here we go. 2520. This is what we read. This is striking imagery. He says, like one who takes away a garment on a cold day, it's not very nice, is it? Or like vinegar poured on a wound, is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. In other words, what is he talking about? He's talking about insensitivity. He's talking about someone who's just kind of on another planet completely. And so, for example, if you were to come to me and I'm this person, this insensitive person, and you come to me and say, Lewis, I just, just need to get something off my chest. And you confess your sin. You pluck up the courage to actually do that. And I respond by saying something like, that's okay. Give you a slap on the back and say, you know, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Let's go and sing some songs. That'd be like completely wrong. I'd completely miss it. But notice... Did I say anything wrong? No, everything I said was quite right. There is no condemnation for in Christ. And should we sing? Yes, but completely done incorrectly. 
with no sensitivity. Instead, I should have what? Got down to your level, listened, listened, zipped it, locked it, put it in my pocket. Just listen, listen, empathize, try and understand, be a shoulder for you to weep on, weep with you. Yeah? Otherwise, it's just like, ah, oh, you cold? Okay, well, let me rip that jacket off you. Instead of giving you a nice blanket. Oh, you've got a wound. Oh, instead of anointing oil, he's vinegar. Huh? Just insensitive. Not being emotionally connected. That's the second character trait. So first, those who are committed to your good. Second, those who are emotionally connected to you. This is the kind of person you need to con- con- confess to and find. And thirdly, and this is really the counterbalance to the second character trait, so committed to your good that they're willing to wound you. You hear that? Willing to speak the truth in love, even when you don't want to hear it, when you don't want to receive it. Proverbs 27, verse 6. Listen to what we read. If it's there. It should be there. Oh, there it is. I'm getting all confused. I'm waiting for it to come underneath the scripture. And I did that. Wounds from a sincere friend. (laughs) Just a confused preacher. Wounds from a sincere friend are better. Wounds. How many of you enjoy wounds? Hmm? Wounds from a sincere friend are better than kisses from an enemy. You know what he's saying? He's saying, look, listen, it is really pointless and, and, and kind of worthless and fruitless to have someone who is insensitive. And so when you confess, they're really insensitive, but equally it is fruitless and pointless to have someone you make confession to just to have them say, there, 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 there. Just kiss, kiss, kiss after kiss, and there, there. And six months after that, it's just still there, 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 there. It's a lot of empathy, that's good, but it's just there, there, there. And then three years later, it's still there, 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 there. You see, listen, the there, there, there needs to, at some stage, transition to, now let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. I'm so thankful that I've had men in my life who have said to me, there, there, there. They've empathized, but, but they've also transitioned and said, okay, Lewis, let's talk about this. And you need that. You need wounds from a sincere friend. In fact, if you've got a relationship with someone and there are no wounds, maybe they're not sincere. Maybe they're too concerned with self-preservation. And so you need someone who will transition in your life from the there, there. Yes, you need that emotional connectedness. But also to, now let's speak about this work addiction that's ruining your family. Or let's talk about this image addiction. Or let's talk about this bitterness you've been harboring in your heart against he or her for many years now. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about this whatever you want to put. Yeah? Loving you enough to wound you. So that's the kind of person you need to be as your mentor or your friend to confess to. Now listen, just a couple of things more as we consider prudence and confession. This person doesn't need to be someone who comes to PCC. It'd be great be really helpful and convenient, especially someone in your connect group, that would be great. And I would encourage you to find that person. But it doesn't have to be someone here because, listen, the church is broader than PCC, thanks be to God. It's the kingdom. So just find someone. Also, a bit more wisdom. Guys, find another guy. That'd be be good. Women, find another woman. Unless it's your spouse that you confess to. And and if you can do that, that's fantastic. If you can do that. But if, hold on, that was a... That was a <laughs> I don't know what's going on there, but Charles is like, you wait until we go home, I'm going to confess some things. <laughs> if you have found that someone, 
then let me encourage you, keep it on the front burner. Keep this whole thing of corporate confession active and alive. And why do I say that? Because James, when he says confess your sins to each other, that's in the present tense, which means this is to be a practice. This is why we're thinking, it, thinking about it in this Breathe series. It's to be a rhythm. It's to be a habit. It's not something we're to do once, you know, like 10 years ago. Oh, yeah, confess once. It's to be something that we do constantly. And so if you have found that person, just start, you know, continue to keep it alive and on the front burner. Is that cool? All right, so prudence. I trust those character traits were helpful. And maybe you're thinking, oh, I can't think of anyone like that. Well, pray. Pray, seek God, and he will lead you. He will guide you. Because he knows the fruit that will come in your life and to the community when we start confessing our sins to each other. So that's prudence in confession. So confidence in confession. He's going to use it for our good. Prudence in confession. And lastly, hindrance to confession. Come on, let's, let's be honest. Let's fess up. Let's confess. What is it that really holds us back here? What's the hindrance? Why don't we confess our sins to each other? Yes, sometimes it's because we haven't found the right person, granted. Also, it can be ignorance. Maybe you're sitting here today kind of thinking, I didn't know I even had to confess my sins to another believer, and I trust this sermon has kind of cleared away the ignorance hindrance. But that's not the main reason, is it? The main reason, if we were honest, being honest with ourselves and each other, it's not ignorance, it's avoidance. It's avoidance. So why do we avoid it? Because of, ready? The big word's coming. Fear. 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 Now, maybe you're sitting there thinking, oh, I would have said pride, Lewis. Look, here's the deal with fear and pride. I cannot distinguish between them. Fear and pride, little saying, fear and pride walk side by side. Where you find pride, you find fear. Where you find fear, you find pride. They are so closely knit. They're like a married couple. Badly married. And so I'm, I'm focusing on the fear aspect. And, and so fear of what exactly? Well, three things. Fear of regression. Regression. Now, what does the regression mean? It means what? Going back to a, pl- a prior place or experience. And so sometimes people, they don't want to confess sins because of a past hurt, a past experience. Maybe like, hey, I did that once. I confessed my sin and I was rejected. I was judged. I was gossiped about. They did air my dirty laundry. And so why would I want to go back to that pain? Regression. You've heard the saying, haven't you? Once bitten, twice shy. And a lot of people are shy when it comes to confessing sins to each other. Not because they don't want to. It's not because they don't want to experience the abundant life that comes with that. But it's just, they just feel kind of, they just feel all clogged up. They can't do it because that sense of betrayal and hurt, and that's completely understandable. Who's with me? So regression. Number two, some people fear rejection. So not regression, but rejection. That is, some people struggle because they don't want to be stabbed in the back again. Regression. Other people fear confessing sins because they don't want to be pushed back. They don't want to be pushed back. That is, they don't want to be rejected. And and these types of Christians kind of reason this way, I think, because I've been one of them. Still am, I think. I'm not sure if they're going to really understand my struggle with sin. I'm not sure if, if, if they're going to get me. And, and so what tends to happen, they conceal the sin. There's smiles externally, but internally there are frowns, there is hurt, there's pain, there's burden. There's burden. And so what they, they, they don't actually confess because that fear of rejection, like fear of being ostracized or, or judged. Richard Foster, we've been working through his book, haven't we, The Celebration of Discipline. He says this about this particular point of fearing rejection. He says, quote, wow, you're good, like you've... You know where I'm coming and going. And it was all on the screen even before I said 
It's coming. Confession, listen to his My eyes are getting bad. I'm going to read it from here. If you don't mind turning my back to you, because that's small. Confession is a difficult discipline for us because, why? We all too often view the believing community as a fellowship of saints before we see it as a fellowship of sinners. He says, we feel that everyone else has advanced so far into holiness that we are isolated and alone in our sin. You know, that's the enemy's lie. That's what he wants you to believe. I'm alone in this sin. I can't confess it because they're advanced in holiness. They're, they're far ahead of me and I'm just struggling alone. That's a lie. That's a lie. We cannot bear to reveal our failures and shortcomings to, to others. Therefore, we hide ourselves from one another and live in veiled lives and hypocrisy. Challenging words, confronting words. But listen, church, can we just agree on something this morning? Can, can we mark this in the history of PCC, in the life of PCC, that today we all agreed on this, that we are all today sinners saved by grace? Can we all agree, like, yes, we were saved by grace last week, three years ago, but today, still today, currently, presently, as we sit here, we are sinners saved by grace today, which means we don't have to pretend that everything is rosy in the garden when it's not. Because listen, we are all in the same proverbial boat, and that boat is sinners saved by grace today. And so the ground at the foot of the cross is level. So we shouldn't fear, 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 because that's not gospel living. It's not the way of the cross. That's not Christianity. So that's the second fear, fear of rejection. Thirdly, fear of reputation, losing face, losing reputation. So some people fear being stabbed in the back again. Some people fear being pushed back. Others fear not maintaining a straight back. That is, some, sometimes the reason why we don't confess is because it's about keeping up appearances. It's about looking respectable and godly and holy and religious and, and moral. You see, this is one of the reasons why we don't confess, because we're afraid to show weakness and need. Why? Because our identity is too entwined with our morality, with our spiritual performance, with our religious performance. And so we clog up and we don't confess because our identity has become too enmeshed in that. That's ugly. That's not Christian living. Again, that contradicts what it means to be a gospel community, a community shaped by the living word of Christ, the gospel of Jesus. Listen to what Paul says on this. He, he hits us out of the park. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, he says, Therefore, another pivotal therefore, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood, Right, truth-telling, being honest, being open, being transparent. Put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. Why? For we are all members of one body. You see? And so when it's about reputation, saving face, I'm not going to say anything because my re- that's not truth-telling. It's contradicting the gospel. It's contradicting a community of faith that ought to be shaped by the living word of Jesus Christ. Yeah? So question. We need to do a therefore. Therefore, pivotal question. In light of all this fear, fearing rejection, fearing regression, fearing losing face, fearing losing reputation, we need to ask then how in the world are we ever going to overcome this fear, this fear, this hindrance, so that we can actually begin this thing called corporate confession and not only begin to confess our sins to each other, but continue to do it. In other words, what's going to help us hurdle the hindrance of fear? That's the question, isn't it? What's going to help us? Because no doubt all of us at some level struggle with one of these R words. 
Maybe all of them, I don't know. So what's, what's, what's the answer? Where are we going to get the power? Well, let me take you to Dietrich Bonhoeffer. We've been listening a lot to Dietrich Bonhoeffer in this series. He was executed by the Nazis during the Second World War, and he was a pastor. He loved God, and he understood the human heart. He understood the sinfulness of his own heart. Listen to what he says. I know you've already started to read it. He says these words. Anybody who lives beneath the cross and who has discerned in the cross of Jesus the utter wickedness of all men and of his own heart will find there is no sin that can ever be alien to him. If you think that, that there is some sin that you just will never commit, then you don't know the sinfulness of your own heart. And that should humble you. Anybody, he goes on to say, has once, anyone who has once been horrified by the dreadfulness of his own sin that nailed Jesus to the cross will no longer be horrified by even the rankest or the darkest, ugliest sins of a brother. Do you hear what he's saying? Although dead, he still speaks. Can you, can you hear what he's saying? He's saying this, that it's living beneath the cross that breaks the ugly power, the dual power of fear and pride in our lives. How, how so? Because when you experience the wonder of the gospel, when you experience the wonder of grace, you realize two things. Firstly, you realize that you are more wicked than you ever thought possible. And yet simultaneously in Jesus, you are more affirmed and more treasured and more loved than you ever dared to hope. That's the message of the cross. That's the message of the gospel. And you see, when you experience that, when it's not just theory, but actually an experience, it does this. It humbles you firstly to the dust. It humbles you to the dust. Why? Because you realize that you are so wicked that Jesus had to go to the cross for you. He had to make confession for your sin on the cross. Father, forgive them. And you make it personal. You don't push the blame off. You say, that was me. You're making confession for me, for my wicked, rank, evil sin. And that humbles you. And what does that do? When, that, when you experience that, it breaks the power of pride. Pride, this fear of rejection or this fear of losing face. Because you're humbled, humbled, humbled. But equally, through the gospel, you are affirmed to the stars. So you're humbled to the dust, but you're affirmed to the stars because you realize that Christ prayed that prayer, Father, forgive them willingly. He prayed it lovingly. And he died for you. Why did he die? He died to secure a positive answer to that confession. He was confessing your sin, not his own. He didn't have any to confess. Confessing your sin. And now through that, through Christ's resurrection, that's God's reception of that prayer. The acceptance of that prayer. And now in him you are affirmed because God has taken care of the sin issue. You are forgiven. You see, when that gospel penny drops, listen church, it will give you the boldness, it will give you the bravery to start confessing your sins to others. Why? Because we don't fear rejection anymore. Because in him we're accepted. He understands us even when others don't understand us. He gets us. He took us on. He received us. He loved us. He forgave us with all our sins. He will never, ever reject us. But also, it deals with the fear of regression. Because now in the gospel, God is no longer our enemy. We were once under the wrath of God, but Christ absorbed that on the tree, on the cross for us. And so through the gospel, God is now not only our friend, we were once his foe, but he's also our father. 
It's our Father, and we believe that even with backstabbings, he can turn those for our good because we believe in Romans 8, 28, that we've been accorded according to his purpose. We are loved by him, and he will turn out all things for the good of those who love him. Yeah? Because he's our Father. And so be brave. Find that person. Confess your sin to them. Be courageous. Even if it doesn't go to plan, that doesn't mean you're outside of God's plan. More importantly, you're not outside his loving hand because he's your father. Can you get it? You got it? Also, we can overcome this fear of losing face. Why? Because on the cross, Jesus momentarily lost reputation in order to deal with our sinful, wicked reputation in the presence of God. You see, we sing the song, don't we? The father turned his face Away, you see, the Father turned his face away from Christ so that we would have eternal face with God. He will never turn his face away. And that's the thing that should matter most to us, the thing that we should hold dear, that we have this reputation in the presence of Almighty God. Forget human beings. Let's not be enslaved to that because we have this beauty now. We're robed in the righteousness of Jesus. We have the reputation of Christ Jesus in the presence of God. And so why should we fear losing face? We have the face of God. Yeah? I want to conclude because we're going to share in communion together. And I want us to come to the communion table by carrying this cross, carrying this question rather, to the Lord's Supper. And this is the question I want us to reflect on as we share together. The question is this, have you, make it personal, have you experienced the power of the cross to the degree that you've been liberated from your particular fear that holds you back from making confession to someone else? That's, that's a quite long question, I'm going to say it again. Have you experienced the power of the cross to the degree that it's liberated you from your particular concern, your particular fear, enabling you, giving you the power and the strength to actually start confessing your sins to another Christian? That's the question I want us to take and carry to the communion table together. And so as Andy plays, I'm going to ask the ushers, please, to pass out the bread and the juice. I just want you to take a moment. I want you to pause. I want you to reflect. 